Good afternoon. I'm Ingo Sorke and I would like to welcome you to our symposium on women's ordination. And this afternoon our panel discussion is about the priesthood of all believers. I would like to offer a word of prayer and then we will dive right into this important subject. Let us pray. Our Father, we humbly come before you and ask for your wisdom. We find ourselves into a, in a situation that exceeds human wisdom and ability. And so we pray for your Holy Spirit, not just to guide this discussion, but to lead us and your church all the way till the end, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Again, my name is Ingo Sorky. I'm a professor of religion at Southwestern Adventist University in Keene, Texas. But I was born and raised and spanked a little in Germany. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to ask the panel members to just briefly introduce themselves. I have to tell you, uh, unlike in other panel discussions, I did not give them the questions in advance. And that is by design. In our daily conversations, we usually do not carry around an entire library with our questions and answers prepared. We have to be able to answer on the spot. Amen. And this is what I'm exposing my friends here to. But I want to invite you to just briefly state who you are, where you're from, what you're doing, one after the other, and then I'll start asking you some questions. I am Mario Veloso uh, from Chile. This culture is a very uh, particular one. And uh, I think I am more a son of my church than of my culture. Amen. Amen. Because I feel I was converted. I used to be Catholic and became an Adventist. And when I accepted the truth of the Bible, accepted Jesus Christ, God became the authority of everything in my life. Amen. Amen. And coming from God, the scriptures. So in this de debate and everything, I'm not a liberal. I'm not a conservative. I'm just a Seventh-day Adventist. Amen. Amen. Raymond Holmes, retired seminary professor, living in the UP of Michigan, where it was 41 degrees the other morning <laughs> after we left. And I'm just a grumpy old man. <laughs> <laughs> And he is smiling, actually. <laughs> My name is Alan Davis. I'm an adjunct professor of church leadership at Weimar, California, uh, Weimar College, uh, nestled in the uh, Sierra foothills. Uh, so we're not really too far from here, but it's uh, an honor and a privilege to be amongst this panel. My name is Dojcin Živadinovic. I am from Croatia. I'm uh, presently a student at Andrews University. 
and uh, I'm very glad to be here in California. Very soon it's going to be cold in Michigan. <laughs> I hope I come here for longer. <laughs> I'm John Peters, originally from California, born in San Diego, and uh, then Michigan, and finally Pennsylvania, and that's where I'm pastoring currently with the Pennsylvania Conference. My name is Dr. Isaac Olatunji. I'm an adjunct professor of religion and theology at Oakwood University of Seventh-day Adventist. And I also am a pastor of the state line Seventh-day Adventist Church and the Valley Seventh-day Adventist Churches in the Gulf States Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. I specialize in Adventist studies, LNG White studies, and of course, um, Adventist theology. And I love the young people at Oakwood. I love evangelizing, and more than especially, I love the Lord and this Adventist church. I'm Phil Mills. I'm a physician, an externist, a dermatologist in, in uh, North Georgia, just where Tennessee, North Carolina, and Georgia all join, Blue Ridge, Georgia. And I love the Bible. And as a layman, I am grateful to be in a church that values lay people studying the Bible. Since we are studying such a deep topic, I expect the audience to be able to spell all of our last names. <laughs> but doctor, you, you, you introduced the topic quite well. I'm, I'm a layman, and often I hear the phrase worded this way, I am just a layman. And so I have to ask the question then, priesthood of all believers, uh, every, every debate, discussion has certain catchphrases. The main one appears to be Galatians 3.28, neither male nor female, and uh, the, this phrase often takes the back seat, but it is used consistently in the discussion of women's ordination. We are a priesthood of all believers, people say. I, I want to ask you, gentlemen, what, what do people mean by that, including in this debate? Priesthood of all believers, what does that phrase mean? Who would like to start? The, uh, the phrase, priesthood of all believers, was, does not exist in the Bible, but it was a phrase that uh, Martin Luther used. And he used it in the context of lay people that they had the right to study scripture for themselves. They had the privilege and the right to interpret scripture for themselves. And they had the privilege and the right to go directly to God in prayer through Jesus Christ. So in that way, they constituted a priesthood of all believers. Uh, it did not uh, connote the idea of actually being a priest, so to speak, in the Old Testament sense of priesthood, but it did indicate that uh, they had the privilege of proclaiming the good news to other people as they understood it from their own study of Scripture. But the Bible does use the word or the phrase royal priesthood, and uh, that is a biblical term, and we are all part of the royal priesthood, and it is somewhat similar to the royal priesthood or to the priesthood of all believers, but not identical. So, um, I guess that's probably enough to say at this point. Um, I did a little 
uh, look up historically on it. And uh, if the Bible writers did not use the, the term, and I may be the odd person out here on the panel, I, I just don't like the term uh, because of some of its baggage. If Ellen White didn't use the term, it was then in use in her time. Is it an important phrase that we should be using? Um, or is it uh, something that we could be falling into a danger of adding to the word of God? Now here's what I found historically. Uh, the priesthood of all believers is introduced um, uh, the Lutheran historian Timothy Wegener, he was associate editor of the Lutheran Quarterly, said this, although the editors of Luther's work discussed this category all over the Weimar edition, Luther himself never used the precise term. Now, I'm not German, so I can't tell you uh, that, whether that's right, but this is uh, somebody that should know. In fact, he used a computer search to, to come up with this. And then he said, in fact, if we want to find the first serious discussion of the category, though not the term itself, we have to jump forward 150 years to 1675 when Philip Spinner penned his lengthy preface to a new printing of the sermon of Johannes Arndt in what became the manifesto of Lutheran pietism. Spinner pleaded for the establishment and diligent practice of the spiritual priesthood. That's what I found as the historical background. I prefer the term fruitfulness of all believers. Hmm. Uh, th this is very interesting. I don't know if uh, you caught that. Sometimes you have arguments thrown in your face and you don't know immediately how to respond. And I don't know if you're catching a methodology here. We have to ask ourselves, is this a biblical term? And it is not. Now, it might contain a biblical concept, but different contexts will understand this term differently. So very important, uh, before you panic and think, oh, I don't know how to answer this. That must settle the issue on one side. Pause, rewind, and, and check what does the Bible say. So I'm going to take the liberty to just read the Bible text that people associate this phrase with priesthood of all believers. It's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. The Bible says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 10, which in time past were not a people, but now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. I need to ask a follow-up question. Where did Peter get this idea from? Mm -hmm. when, we go Alan, go ahead. when we go back and uh, we look at Exodus chapter 19, we find that uh, the children of Israel had already come into the Sinai wilderness, and then they were on their way to the mountain to receive God's law. And verse 6 in particular talks about, And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. But this was predicated on the verse that preceded it. 
Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. So it seems to me, just in terms of the context, not only in Exodus, but also in Peter, we have another object of obeying God's voice. And without getting too far into it, the language in First Peter is sanctuary language. So the thought here is consecrating oneself to the Lord, not only coming to the cross, but entering in ultimately to the most holy place and where wanna, he is presiding. I want to add to that in the book of Deuteronomy 28 and verse 1, in, um, in addition to what you're saying, where God says, if you obey my commandments, the Bible says I will set thee on high. So as I was looking at the text as you were reading it, and the other text, this came to my mind that the priesthood in terms of him setting us in a preeminent level above all nations. And the Bible says that he will set us on high above all nations upon the earth. And also in this chapter, he says, I will make you the head and not the tail. Deutschen, go ahead. I just wanted to point out that the reason why I believe, uh, according to what I was studying, the reason why God called the entire Israel the kingdom of priests, it's because at first, all the firstborn of each family was a priest. Before the Levites came to scene, the firstborns of each family were providing, a firstborn was dedicated to God to be the priest of the household. And at first, it was God's plan that the firstborn goes to the sanctuary and serves as a priest. But because of the apostasies with the golden calf, and because there was a huge national apostasy, and only the Levite tribe was untainted from that apostasy, God chose the Levites and actually asked every family to bring an offering to redeem their firstborns. And you can find that in Exodus 32 to 34. And he thought the firstborns had to bring money and offering to redeem their service. And they were passing their service of the firstborn priests to the Levites. So the Levites became the priests. Otherwise, it was the firstborns. It was the entire kingdom. The entire nation was supposed to be priests. But because of the sin, the Levites took this position of mediators, between uh, uh, typifying Jesus Christ. Now we come to the New Testament, and Peter said, there's no more Levites. There's no more. This is Jesus. Jesus is our Levite. He's our, but you all are now, you're not in apostasy anymore, golden calf. You all resume that, that every firstborn, every male, leaders of the house, father is the priest of the household, and the entire nation is the royal priesthood, coming back to that, uh, that initial position before the apostasy. I think Dr. Veloso wants to respond. Uh, just, just to uh, make one step further on this concept. The Levites were all coming to be the firstborn of the nation. But there was a division of functions within the uh, tribe. And those who were from the Aaron's family, Aaron and his sons, were dedicated as priests. The rest of the tribe were to work also in the sanctuary, but not as spiritual leaders of the nation. 
they were like the deacons in our church uh, to do the service of the, of the sanctuary, to carry the um, tent, to take care of every item that was involved with the services. But those who uh, actually uh, led in the representation of the blood be between the people and God, the intercessors were Aaron and his family only. And, and this is another item that we need to take in, into consideration as we are developing the concept step by step without having uh, uh, talked among us before, we are actually going through one step after the other. Dr. Mills, and I think then Dr. Holmes. Well, one, uh, one statement that I object to is when, when somebody says, well, we now accept the New Testament concept of the priesthood of all believers. If they will instead say, we accept the Old Testament concept that was carried over into the New, I have a little less objection to that because it implies there are different roles. Everybody understands that in the Old Testament. However, um, it, is, it, it seems to me that it's crucial for us to have our biblical concepts and not use phrases that can be um, misinterpreted, misunderstood, and imply something that simply isn't true. It's very interesting to me that many people who see a huge dichotomy between the Old Testament, oh, you can't take the priesthood of the Old Testament and uh, apply that to pastors in the New Testament because um, that just, uh, that uh, would be a problem with uh, gender. But they still will push for the priesthood of all believers. Well, I thought priesthood didn't have anything to do with um, New Testament concepts. So there's a little, there's a little problem with that, in, among other uh, uh, problems. There are carryovers between priests and pastors. Amen. All right, Dr. Holmes, and then I will summarize something about this, this section. Go ahead. Yeah, I want to respond, first of all, historically, and then second, personally. I appreciate Dr. Mills uh, calling our attention to the quote from uh, Philip Spainer. Spainer came on the scene uh, sometime after Luther had died. Uh, I don't re remember exactly the dates. While Luther may not have used the term himself, priesthood of all believers, he still might have been familiar with the, the concept, the idea. By the time of Spener, the Reformation had degenerated into what we refer to as the period of orthodoxy, or even dead orthodoxy, where salvation was not so much determined by personal faith in Jesus, but belief in the right doctrines, the right teachings. And God used Philip Spainer and others to bring about a spiritual revival 
or an awakening among Protestants, <coughs> very much needed at that time. And uh, so you have to see it in that context, that historical context. What Spainer and others were interested in was in bringing spiritual life of the church back into the hands of the entire membership. Now, personally, uh, as I have participated in the TOSC meetings, I've been disturbed over the uh, the suggestion that our position represents a period uh, represents hierarchy, a hierarchical approach to ministry. And I've, I always felt that that was rather strange because I had never felt that way about ministry. Whether I, in my Lutheran ministry and my Adventist ministry, I never conceived of my role in relationship to my people as being hierarchical, but pastoral. That's why even people today, they ask me, how should we refer to you? What should we call you? Should we call you doctor? Should we call you elder? Uh, should we call you pastor? And I always answer pastor because I've conceived my role as being a shepherd, shepherding role, one who cares for spiritually his people. So I've never had that concept of ministry that I was the, bo the boss of my people, but their companion, their shepherd, and so on. So this whole idea of hierarchy imposed on our view is just foreign to me. I think it's incorrect. I don't think it applies. I don't think any one of us feel that way about ministry. Uh, Thank you. It looks to me like in order to get out of opinions and misconceptions, we have to read to succeed. Amen. We have to read the Bible, and we have to incorporate the Old Testament. Now, the argument is made, and I think we have a somewhat of an answer. In the Old Testament, priests were all male. Now we have the New Testament, and we have this priesthood of all believers. Therefore, what used to be reserved for males is now passed on to both genders. And uh, if you listen carefully, that, that is simply not the case. A priesthood of believers, if we're going to use that phrase, or a royal priesthood, does not make every member Amen. a priest. Amen. Am I correct in that summary? Uh, the financial aspect was touched on. I'm going to come back to that. I want to drill a little deeper into 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. There is a purpose statement, a definition of what these priests ought to do. 
because my idea growing up in Germany as a Lutheran, Dr. Holmes, the, the priest, black shirt, collar, was this higher person, and he did things that uh, I could not do as a lay person, and, and there was this differential. Uh, I want to read you that text again, and maybe somebody will pick up on it and, and expound on the purpose statement of this New Testament priesthood. Here it is again, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, and here it comes, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I, I didn't give you the questions in advance. Maybe you can think on the spot. What do you make of this purpose statement of what the function of these priests are. I think, Isaac, you can't wait to yeah. say something. I think <laughs> in, in verse 5 of the same chapter, it says, Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. And that correlates with what Jesus, what Paul said, that um, our bodies is to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. So our praise should be our life reflecting the life of Christ. So uh, somebody already mentioned sanctuary language yes. here, Dr. Veloso. Yeah, there, there is in, in the original uh, text the idea of announcing for you to communicate. Uh, it is not just to praise God. It is praising God while you communicate to the, to the whole nation of the world, the good news of the gospel. So we are here not in a function as priest, like uh, the function that they performed at the sanctuary, but actually the function of being the priest for the whole world in communicating the praises to the Lord. Uh, this was a kind of relationship with the whole world to bring them into the relationship that these people of God would have with God. So uh, this is to build up the community. Those who are thinking on making this concept of, that Peter conveys with the priesthood in Israel, they are pretty much thinking on also on the work of the Catholic priests. They don't like it. But actually, the concept, combined concept, is in their mind. And when they do that, they really are falling out of the scriptures, absolutely. And they are not even describing the real situation of the priests. Because 
when you relate any function of members of the church or pastors of the church to the Catholic priests, you are committing a big, big mistake. There is no similarity at all. And I don't know one Adventist that would think on the Catholic priests or believe that the pastors are similar to the Catholic priests. Because that situation, they function in the church is something absolutely different from anybody else in the church. When they are ordained, their theology says that they put a mark on the life of the person that was ordained. And this mark cannot be erased anymore. Nobody can eliminate that mark. That's why when you see that priests are uh, found in big sin, that we, if we find a pastor in those kind of things, of, of sins, we would uh, dismiss the pastor immediately. They cannot do that. They cannot do that. I mean, a bishop cannot dismiss a priest because he has already the mark. And no matter what this person does, the mark is in the soul of that person. So uh, there is a big, big difference. We cannot relate. This is for communication of the gospel. The other one is for power of intercession. And the, 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 the uh, minister of the gospel in the Seventh-day Adventist church is just a servant leader in the church. Absolutely different. In both cases, th what uh, in, in the Catholic Church are called lay, lay uh, members, sometimes we use that term wrongly too, but uh, there is difference absolutely in both cases. We'll, we'll go dermatologist, then chemist turned pastor, and then uh, Air Force. <laughs> Jesus said, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And so God was trying in the Old Testament and the New Testament to get his will done. He said to the Old Testament, they were chosen generation, a royal priesthood. He said to the, and, and, and they really failed. He said to the New Testament Christians, you are a royal priesthood. Put up your mic, please. Uh, you are a royal priesthood. But the wonderful news is, that it will be true in the New Jerusalem because Revelation 26 says, 20 verse 6, they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. There, God's trial, his, his vision for his people will finally be consummated and there will be a kingdom of, of true priests and true um, uh, kings. Amen. 
Just to comment again uh, on the clarity of Scripture, if we simply take Scripture as it reads, when Peter is alluding to a royal priesthood in 1 Peter chapter 2, he's alluding to, and I think it's already been pointed out in a previous presentation, to Exodus 19, where Moses speaks of a kingdom of priests. You are to be a kingdom of priests, or God says, I will make you a kingdom of priests. But it's pretty clear in Exodus 19 that there was already some sort of an in informal priesthood that was dedicated to offering, sac that is, literal sacrifices. This is in contrast to the kingdom of priests that God says, I'm going to make you as a nation. So the nation as itself was to be a kingdom of priests, but in addition to that, there was a special group of men who were offering literal sacrifices as in part of the priesthood. Now, the, the royal priesthood for us today, for Peter then, he's equating that with the kingdom of priests in Exodus 19, which means we are to function like they were. They were to go to all the world and present the good news of the gospel as they had learned it from Adam and Eve, handed down through the centuries by word of mouth and then through scripture. That was their responsibility. That's what God expected them to do, and he expects us to do the same thing, to share the good news of the gospel for them it was the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. They knew that was the gospel. They were to proclaim that good news of the coming Messiah. We, too, have the privilege of doing the same thing as a work that has already been finished. So the, the idea that others have tried to impose on this text that, that uh, women are now, because they're part of the royal priesthood, they are enabled, therefore, to become part of the ministry, that is, the ordained ministry, simply violates the rest of Scripture. So if we use the analogy of Scripture, which is letting all of Scripture interpret itself, we, we simply go to 1 Timothy chapter 2 and 3, we go to 1 Corinthians 11, and we discover, well, Paul has already set forth that there is a special uh, ordained priesthood, that is, or a ordained ministry, that is, elders and bishops and so on, that are set forth with certain responsibilities in leading the church spiritually. This is in contrast to the kingdom of priests in the Old Testament and the royal priesthood in the New Testament. Dr. Davis. I think as we look at this very carefully and we look at the sanctuary language that's intimated both in 1 Peter and also Exodus 19, and we also see it in Romans 12.1 that uh, Dr. O alluded to. And what we have here is a kingdom of priests and a royal priesthood which intimates that God is king, bar none. So right there we see that there is a hierarchical structure, but it's not among people, but rather it's to God. And so as we take a look at this concept, we see that Peter says that we are living stones rightly fitted together, which then tells me that somehow or another, remember Paul says, know ye not that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwelleth in you? Now that's the plural form. That's not an individual form. So Peter is saying we are living stones. Paul says the same things in Ephesians chapter 2, whose foundation is upon the apostles, whose chief cornerstone is Christ. And now follow this. This is, this is beautiful. So as the kingdom, this royal priesthood, comes together and everybody gets on the same page of music, then the Holy Spirit can be poured out. We saw the same thing when Moses said, whoever's on the Lord's side, get on here. Everybody who's not on the Lord's side, go over there. And it's interesting that how many fell on the day that they uh, 
chose the wrong side on Moses? About 3,000. How many were converted in one day on the day of Pentecost? About 3,000. I find that to be somewhat interesting. And I noticed that before the, uh, the apostles came together to be of one mind and one accord, they had to fill in the gap, and that is they had to have the 12, because they couldn't move forward. They had to get all on the same page, and they were of all one of, of one mind and one accord. And when all those things came together, they were in harmony with the Scriptures, with Christ, then the Shekinah could be poured out. Amen. And then they could finish the work. And that's what we need to be doing, remembering that Christ is our King. A, a clear evangelistic life purpose. Uh, I find it interesting, uh, Pastor McIntosh yesterday showed how evangelism is a subject of every single chapter in all the pastoral letters. Well, you will find this in Peter as well. Okay? It's, it's, it's going out and, and being a light in a dark world. Now, if we can call him Dr. O, we'll just call you Dr. Z. I'm Dr. Z. I'm not doctor yet. Well, um, just wanted to um, come back to what I was saying before. Uh, when, we, when we talk about how the Bible calls us, you are also living, living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices. It's very beautiful that it says that we are all, that the foundation is Christ, and apostles and prophets, says in Ephesians 2.20, that the, 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 the foundation of the church were apostles and prophets who first uh, proclaimed Jesus. And upon him are different rocks and stones and bricks that are upon that foundation. And that's us. But when you think about it, when it says that we are holy priesthood, like what does that mean? What were the priests doing? What were the priests doing, really? Uh, the priests were very important in that the people couldn't go to the holy God in the Old Testament. They, were, they would be consumed. So they had to bring the sacrifice, kill it, and put their sins upon them. And the priests would, would go inside and or either eat the meat or, or sprinkle the blood to take the sin upon God, not anymore upon the individual. So they were like a mediator between God and men. They were typifying who Christ is. They're types of Christ. That was the priesthood in the Old Testament. That's what priests were doing. And it, uh, so that, the priests were the, this link. And at this point, now in the New Testament, it says that we can go in, in Hebrews, in entire epistle of Hebrews, the new co Christian community is like, hey, we don't have a, a temple anymore. What do we do now? And, and Paul is explaining to the Hebrews that now you can go boldly to the throne of grace. Amen. Now you are the priesthood. Right. You go boldly to the throne of grace and ask for grace and mercy in time of need. So you're, you are the holy priesthood. You're, you're co-working with Jesus, cooperating with Jesus Christ who died for us. And his blood enters our prayers. As we pray, we go boldly into him. But, and then people say, well, that means that everybody is a priest and we don't need leadership. We don't need headship. And that's a false paradigm because in the Old Testament, there was two, two different lines of leadership in Israel. There were priests and there were who? Magistrates who were called what? Elders. 
in Septuagint Greek, it was translated presbyteros. So when you come to the New Testament, yeah, you're all priests, but you still have you have your holy nation. You're still the nation. You still have the elders who are the leaders. And elders were judges also as well. And there were usually most spiritual men elected to be the leaders of the people. And so we come to the New Testament, the transition, we are still Israel. Yes. We're all Israel. There was Israel in the Old Testament, and now there was a remnant of Israel. We are still Israel. The priesthood of the Levites don't need anymore. Jesus already died for us. We can enter boldly. But the leadership and headship of elders, presbyteros, remains. And that's why we have presbyters or elders, or leaders, and there were always men in the Old Testament, and now there are men in the New Testament. The headship principle still abides. And, and interestingly, the concept of elders is even still in First Peter. Mm -hmm. I, I might save that text for later. Uh, Do Dr. Holmes has been waiting, then Dr. O, and then we go to Dr. D. <laughs> We're reducing it to last name letters. I just want to add something to what you just said. Uh, the, the Old Testament concept of the priesthood was transferred into Catholicism. The, in the Old Testament, the people needed the priest to have access to God. And so the same is true in Catholicism. The believer has access to God through the priest, mainly by uh, means of the confessional and the mass and other liturgical events. And what uh, the, the phrase offering spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus, I see that as primarily referring to prayer. That the believer has access to God without a priest through prayer. Amen. You can go to him anytime. Amen. You don't need an intermediary. Doctor, uh, go ahead. In um, in the book of Exodus 29, it talks. You know, in the Old Testament and New Testament, you have type and anti-types. And in the type, in the Old Testament sanctuary, the priesthood did three things. Number one, they were cleansed. Number two, they were clothed, and number three, they were consecrated. So that concept of priesthood for us, and as a matter of fact, in Peter, it says that you were once not a people, but now you're the people of God. So Israel in the Old Testament priesthood, the Gentiles who come into Jesus Christ become a part of that priesthood too. And that priesthood, the beauty of it, talks about our spiritual life, where we're to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus, number one. Number two, to be clothed by the righteousness of Jesus. And number three, we're to be consecrated by the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And through that, as spiritual priests, we can do the spiritual functions of a priesthood. In the Old Testament, the priest did three things, laid out in praise and adoration. And where we as spiritual priests were to give praise and adoration on a daily basis to God. And number two, priests were responsible of giving their gifts, their money, etc. We're to give our money, our time, our talents as stewards to God. And lastly, of course, priests were to give sacrifices. Our lives is to be a living sacrifice. So um, the concept of priesthood of all believers, holy nation, whatever you want to call it, from what I'm seeing, it denotes spirituality. And by being obedient to God in Exodus 19, it was contingent upon their obedience to God to where God will elevate them. And you brought a thing out about the sonship. 
God called his children Israel, my firstborn. Born. Well, well, we'll take two more comments on this, and I'll, I'll go to another question, but Dr. Davis, go ahead. You know, as I listen to all of these comments, it just drives home the point. As I think of the actual issues within this debate, option one, two, and three, I have to go back to Revelation 12:17, and it says, and the dragon was wroth with the woman. Do you think he's wroth with the woman right now? Mm -hmm. And went to make war with the remnant of her seed. Now, this is in the singular. It doesn't say the remnants of her seed. It says the remnant. So my thinking here is this. We cannot have the split that seems to be looming on the horizon option one, two, and three, whenever the final decision is made, and think that each one of those is the remnant. Only one can be the remnant. Mm -hmm. So it's, an inc it's incumbent upon us to determine what that entails through a proper exposition of the Scripture. And Revelation does not suggest a Laodicea A, a Laodicea B. <laughs> uh, Dr. Peters, go ahead. Within the, uh, the context of the Seventh-day Adventist Church and our view of the antitypical Day of Atonement, which Dr. Davis has alluded to several times, there's a text in the book of Malachi that uh, puts this in perspective as far as the priesthood is concerned. Let me just read it to you. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 2 and 3, it says, But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like launderers or fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner in a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer the Lord an offering in righteousness. Now, this is in the context of the Day of Atonement, where Christ enters into the most holy place. Who can endure the day of his coming? And it's talking about he will purify the sons of Levi. Who are the sons of Levi today? The royal priesthood. That's you and I. He wants to purify us. Is that right? He wants to purify us in this anti-typical day of atonement. What's he waiting for? He's waiting for us to be purified. Is that right? He wants to purify the sons of Levi. He will purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Whose righteousness is that? Christ crucified with Christ. Amen. When God cleanses a place, he wants to cleanse a people as well. Dr. Holmes, I'm not asking you a question, but I remember when your book came out at the Andrews Theological Seminary, The Tip of an Iceberg, a professor in class told us, he, he threw that out, and I'm throwing it out to you, a female sacrifice was an adequate representation of Jesus Christ. I will not look up the text. You can find it in Leviticus 14, verse 10, and Numbers 6, 14. But let me repeat the phrase from the professor. A female sacrifice... If it was a sacrifice, that means it was an adequate representation of Jesus Christ. And I've heard you mention the word sacrifice several times. The inferred assumption and conclusion then was by the professor, therefore, a female can therefore also be ordained in eldership or pastoral position. 
how, how, do you, how do you respond? <laughs> Are you asking me? <laughs> how, how, how do you respond was a plural you and, uh, and, and Dr. O might, might well, save you us. Know, um, you know, you affirm to the you affirm to the truth. You know, Ellen White. Since Ellen White was reading, I was reading um, something last night where she was given, in essence, not so much to repeat these arguments, but to affirm to the truth, and just affirm what the Bible says here. Well, that's what you say. But the Bible says here, husband of one wife. He makes it very. You just show what the Bible says. The roles of men, women in church, and those things usually will go away. People will see the fallacy of it. Very good. Very very good methodological advice. <laughs> I have another text for you, just to poke you a little. It is in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 6, that has been brought up to me. And I, I want to make sure that it is covered here. Revelation 1, verse 6. Uh, there, there's, a, there's a phrase before with a comma in verse 5. I'm just going to read verse 6. And has made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So we could have somebody say, I, I got the priesthood of all believers. Not a biblical phrase. Um, Martin Luther and all that. And not every person is a priest in a priesthood. But here we have a text that seems to say, and has made us kings and priests. How, how would you respond to that? And since now the Old Testament again, priests were males, now we're all priests, therefore. You know where this argument is going, Dr. Mills? Well, uh, uh, Romans and Paul says that God calls that which will be as though it is, because he lives outside of time. And he sees us not as we are, but as in Christ we can be. And in Christ, he is king. We're kings with him. In Christ, he is priest. And we're priests in him. And he sees the future. He sees the potential. And he's trying to help us see that as well. And I'm grateful that God looks at me and sees an eternity of possibilities. And uh, I just thank God for his confidence in his own ability to take and make me something that I'm not. And I want to add to that, Revelation chapter 3, the message to the seventh church. The Bible says, to him that overcometh, Revelation 3.21, will I grant to sit with me in my throne. And we know that Jesus will be a, it will be a king in the earth and they knew. So he's made his kings and priests to sit with him as overcomers. So I see that the king priest aspect here is a symbol of conversion. He's made us. How do we become made? We become made like that by receiving King Jesus. So I see this in terms of spirituality of overcoming temptation. All right, uh, Dr. Holmes, we're, we're getting our money out of you today. I hope you all are tithe payers because he's working. <laughs> I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> anyway, I like the translation of that verse in Revelation in the English Standard Version. It reads, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins 
by his blood and made us a king. And, uh, John is praising God for this. And made us a kingdom priests to his God and Father. We're, he's made us priests to God, not to the people. Which simply means, you know, as we have already emphasized, access to God because of the blood of Christ. He's freed us from our sins by his blood, and we have access to God. You have access to God on the basis of the shed blood of Jesus. You don't need a priest, an intermediary. The, the power of the plain reading of the scriptures. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, just another comment on this idea that he has made us kings and priests. You know, we are told that uh, throughout eternity, uh, we will have the privilege of delving into the plan of salvation. It will become our science and our song throughout eternity. And that part of that will be uh, the privilege of visiting the unfallen worlds, the inhabitants of unfallen worlds. And in that capacity as kings and priests, uh, singing in glory and praises to God and sharing with them what only we who have had a personal experience in being redeemed, what it means. They've never experienced what we have gone through. So we will have the privilege of telling them the mysteries of the plan of redemption as only we will be able to do. So that's another aspect of this idea of being made a priest and a, and a king. Solamente dos minutos, mi hermano. Okay. <laughs> 30 seconds. Uh, being a priest, according to this text in Apocalypse, Revelation, uh, is the same thing as being kings. It doesn't mean being king, that we are kings here in the world. No one of us is claiming for a kingdom here. What about the king kingdom of Germany? <laughs> uh, the same way we are kings and priests, not to the people here, but to God for eternity. And we are talking about the new life. We are talking about the new world. Uh, uh, we are talking about the, the new earth, which is the end of the whole book of Revelation. Go ahead. I, I think that the entire point of Scripture is to draw man to a, such a close relationship with God. Ellen White says that, that even angels themselves do not know. In, in, in Desire of Ages, page 47, I believe. That's what she says. That's the, that's the entire point, that the man went so far away from God, but the desire of God is to bring them so close so as to become a type of Jesus. Jesus was uh, the type of the priest in the Old Testament and the king. He was the king of Israel, and he was the Aaron. At the same time, both those types represented Jesus. In the New Testament, he, he, he says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. He wants to identify, he wants to bring us so close to God the Father, so close to him that even says that in Revelation chapter 3, to the Laodicean church that overcomes, this is the last church, that church will sit with him on his throne. The angels can't have that. 
He wants to bring us so closer than even angels themselves can know. Bring us on his throne just like I also overcame, Jesus says. So there's identification of Jesus and his people throughout the entire, uh, to the scripture. And to that identification, right now, it also says in Revelation 20 that we will be priests in heaven, which means we will have this uh, communion and mediation between other worlds and God the Father. We will be bringing this, uh, the relationship. So, in, so right now, we are not physically priests there. And we are not physically kings. But we are spiritually priests through faith in prayer, through the Holy Spirit, through Christ. Through Christ, who is still purifying us. Because we cannot be physically, we will be consumed. So through Christ, who is a real priest, we are priests. But also kings, meaning that we will inherit the earth. It says that we will we got inherit... 45 seconds. Okay. <laughs> when we inherit the earth, only spiritually now we are the kings. Barack Obama, he's only temporary king. This is our planet. We will be real kings, but physically one day when Jesus comes. Uh, read First Corinthians uh, 9, 13 through 14 sometime, Paul links Levitical reimbursement with ministry reimbursement right now. Let us pray. Amen. This is a huge task, our role, our identity in Jesus Christ. Father, thank you. We humbly tremble before your throne, but we approach it with boldness. And we offer ourselves as living sacrifices in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.